I'll call the coaches. Hey, tell me about this guy. Is he a good teammate? Um, does he work hard? What's what's the story with him? And I'll get as much information as I can before I ever talk to the kid myself. Because if the coach has a bad um, opinion about him, uh, he's a bad teammate, doesn't work hard, he's lazy, yeah. I'm not even going to bother. My goal as a high school player was to make it to college and become a college baseball player. And the second I stepped foot on campus, it suddenly became not good enough. Mm. Um, once I got there, and it's something that I preached to my players when I became a coach, what is your goal? What do you want to accomplish while you're here? And I, I would ask my players, whose goal was it to become a college baseball player? And all of them would raise their hands. How many of you made any goals after that? About half of them would go down. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so what is your goal for being here? Mm. So you're here now, now what? Hey, it's episode nine, and what an interesting episode it is. We have another special guest today who's come on to talk with us from a college coach's perspective, and we cannot wait to share this with you. It's a little bit longer than some of our others, but that's okay. We've got a lot of questions for him, and we feel like he did an awesome job of helping us understand from the college coach's perspective what they're looking for. And what are some of the best ways you can go about seeking to be found by a college coach? So if you're a player, or if you're a parent of a player, and you'd like some answers to those questions, then you will love this episode. It is episode nine, and it starts right now. Well, we're grateful to be back. Today, Pat and I have a special guest who is known today as Coach Dunphy. Because about six years ago, he made that inevitable transition that comes to about 98% of us who have ever played the game of baseball, and that is the transition from player to coach. But before we talk about his coaching career, I want you to make sure that as we uh, are introducing him here that I talk a little bit about his playing career because Austin, Austin Dunphy was an outstanding baseball player as well, and he would be one that I would call from my memory uh, a bulldog on the mound, although he might prefer to be called a bear on the mound. Uh, Seems appropriate. That's right. That's right. But uh, the reason I say that is because I actually had the privilege of getting to coach Austin. This is before, man, this is when he was just a little guy. I mean, when I say little guy, I'm talking 15 years old, probably 14. You started playing American Legion baseball early, earlier than most guys. 14 15. Yeah. I can't remember. Because I think, I think my last year of coaching there, I was kind of in and out. I, you were on the state tournament team, right? Yeah. This, yeah. And that was, I was half there, half not there that year. I was trying to get back here to be to see my own kids play but but uh austin was was on a team that i actually had a hand in coaching and i'll tell you what as a 14 year old he was playing with primarily 18 and 19 year olds and 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 we we stick you out there during bp and let you go full go with those guys and and that's that's where we're like okay we know this guy's gonna be something special and you did you turned into be a a a really nice player from meg's high school Ended up getting recruited by Ted Tom, right, at Shawnee State. Ted Tom and Chris Moore, yep. Yeah, and Chris Moore played played at Shawnee State for four years, and that's actually where your career hit another gear. Um, Ted Tom, of course, now is an assistant coach at UCF. Um, but uh, Austin, uh, at while at Shawnee State, you still hold the university's records for career wins with 27 still holds the record for strikeouts in a season with 82 and still holds the record for complete games in a season with 13. So some pretty impressive stuff. 
during his time playing at Shawnee State, his teams brought home one conference title and one championship title. And, of course, after, uh, after playing uh, there in the spring, he had the opportunity to play locally from where we're recording today here in Athens in the Great Lakes Summer Collegiate Baseball League for the Southern Ohio Copperheads. And in 2011, finished that summer season with a very impressive 0.48 ERA. And then after playing with the Copperheads, they gave you a chance to work as an assistant coach, um, actually for both. His, his alma mater, Shawnee State University, and as well as the Copperheads assistant. And finally, this past summer, Austin had the opportunity and the honor to be named the head coach of the Southern Ohio Copperheads summer collegiate team, in which the team was just one game from a playoff berth, finishing third in the South Division with a record of 23-18. and 18. And pretty impressive first year, especially since I know that that you came into that that season uh, a couple within a couple weeks of starting, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but the good news is that that Austin will be back next year with a Copperhead, so you have an opportunity to have a hand in the recruiting, absolutely, in that as well. So, I could say a lot more, but uh, needless to say, today's guest has a lot to offer to our podcast, especially in the the conversations that we like to have here. And so, it's our absolute pleasure to have on the Coaching Life podcast. Coach Austin Dunphy. Welcome, Austin. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. You bet. Appreciate you being here, Austin. Oh, yeah, and Pat's here, too. Hey. <laughs> didn't get a, you didn't get a word yeah, in edgewise there. I am. Don't yeah. forget about Pat. I'll start talking now. <laughs> hey, Austin, I wanted to bring up a, a Facebook post that you posted recently. Uh, we've I know it's a conversation that I've had over the last few years, and, and i put a lot of thought into the number of baseball games that you know my kids. I have a, I have a 13-year-old or soon-to-be 13-year-old and a 9-year-old. And uh, they, they play a lot of baseball games throughout the year. And it's something that I've, I've been looking into and, and talking about a lot. But you, you, you had an opinion here. I'm going to read it uh, for our listeners. The youth baseball scene has drastically changed over the last decade. I want to begin by saying that it is possible to play too much baseball. Think about this for a minute. The major leagues play a 162-game schedule. This is a league filled with grown men who are the best in the world, doing this as a job. This is a very intense and grueling schedule, even for those guys who have all the best resources and doctors, nutritionists, strength coaches, etc., at their disposal. Now let's look at youth baseball. They're playing spring baseball, which is about 25 to 30 games, a full summer schedule, maybe around 50 games, and then a fall schedule between 25 and 30 games. This, is, this could get up to up to over 100 games for kids who may not even have made it to high school yet and definitely have not reached their full maturity, which happens for males after college years. These kids are burning themselves out on something that is supposed to be enjoyed at that level. Is this, a, is this an opinion that you've had for a long time, or would you say that it, uh, it's changed over the years? And, and could you talk about kind of you know, why you have that opinion or how it's changed? I think it's grown um, over the last, seems like, decade. Um, but more so since I've become a, a coach at the collegiate level. Um, I played a little bit of travel baseball when I was 12 to maybe 14 years old, uh, but it was, it was more laid back. Uh, we'd, we still had time for practice, uh, which I think is one of the big things that uh, these kids are missing out on nowadays. Uh, just happened to listen to that practice podcast on my way down here. A lot of, lot of solid points uh, you all touched on. Um, that is, seems like one of my biggest gripes with travel baseball is 
the lack of development uh, for these kids. So if you think about what uh, travel baseball teams do, and it's and let me start by saying it's not a terrible thing. Travel baseball has a lot of uh, good aspects to it. Uh, it gets kids exposure, gets to play against higher levels of competition. Um, but at some point that that is almost too much uh, if you're not practicing your craft. Um, you're going up against kids who might be better than you, which is a very good thing. You want to surround yourselves um, with people who are better than you mm. at whatever you do. Um, just purely osmosis, you're going to be better just by being around that. Absolutely. Um, but if you're not practicing what you're learning, uh, then you're hindering yourself and kind of holding yourself back a little bit. So uh, if you think about what these travel teams do, and not all of them, um, some of them are run run the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my, my biggest complaint is that they're picking these kids from around a large area uh, who they have been told or seen or know that are the best players in that area and they bring them all together as like a makeshift all-star team and travel around and play uh which is fine those kids probably are the best in that area but uh now they they get on a team with like kids like themselves who are uh ahead of their their level uh but then they they aren't practicing Mm -hmm. they're not developing their skills they're not doing the fundamentals uh, which are crucial uh, and especially kids at that level who are still learning the game who don't know who still have a lot of experience uh, left to gain um, things they've just never seen before Um, and practice is hands down the most important thing in almost anything we do in life and especially Mm, uh, that's a good point. When you focus in on something specific like that, such as baseball, um, you have to you have to do those things over and over and over again. And travel baseball has led these kids away from uh, taking the time to focus on small small details that uh, become huge factors in winning, losing, uh, becoming better, success in many different aspects yeah you just said two words that, that stuck out to me and i was thinking as you were talking one is winning and the other is success and mm-hmm. i think it's very important <laughs> as as coaches and as parents how we define those two things they're completely different things. because the you know the teams that you described there they may go out and win a lot of, of baseball games a lot of travel baseball games but are they truly being successful right. and i think that's a big question to ask yeah we've we've mentioned that before on here that that we, we have to understand that sometimes winning doesn't equal success and sometimes success doesn't equal winning. Right. It just depends on how you define it. You know, it's interesting. There's a, I, I actually just read something before we came into the podcast studio today and it was a, it was a tweet and I liked it on my own Twitter by a coach who has a, um, his own, his own, he has a data cage in Florida and he works with hitters one-on-one or he has, he has a client, you know, a clientele of, of players who come in and he says he's been thinking a lot about the, the the whole travel ball system and 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 trying to figure out why kids are seeming to drop out of the game earlier and earlier or more so every year. You know, you get a lot of kids that, that basically are deciding that like it's not any fun anymore. Or they're showing some disinterest and things like that. And he actually said this. He said, beginning at 14 years old, many kids get uh, sweet uniforms with multiple combos, nice matching shoes. Right uh, when they're chauffeured around across the region to play in increasingly amazing facilities, I mean, I, I watched the other night the Little League World Series regional. Uh, I think it was Iowa and Minnesota. 
are there playing at Grand Park in in Indianapolis, which I've I've talked I've told you Pat about that facility before. It's like the mecca of baseball. It's the Disney World of baseball facilities. It's incredible. Thirty uh, some fields, turf everywhere. It's mm-hmm. just it's it's immaculate, and that's just for, for a lot of kids. That's just hey, that's normal day right there. That's that's what I play in, right. and and so these every all the showcases and you know that they go to especially the big box showcases where they're writing up reviews about the kid. What are they, what are they talking about? All the stuff that they do. Awesome. Right. They'll even maybe add a couple miles per hour here and there or whatever. And he said, I was just, you know, he said, I was just having a casual conversation about this, about this, this whole idea. And, and he said, somebody mentioned to me a couple of players that might actually stop playing. And my thought was, my, he said, my initial instinct was to say, oh, they're getting burned out. Mm-hmm. Travel ball is burning them out. But here's the point. Here's the thing. And I thought it was an excellent point to consider. And I'm still pondering it right now. He said, I'm thinking that maybe good players quit playing now, not necessarily because they're burned out, but because they're fulfilled. Think about very, that. Very good yeah. point. I mean, I, I remember when my kids were in youth football here locally, we actually intentionally did not, when, when the high school got the new stadium with all the new turf and everything, everybody was like, oh man, we need to let the kids play on there or whatever. And, and the, the other guy was coaching with me. We intentionally did not want the sixth grade down and the middle school teams to play on that, on that facility. Yeah. And the reason why, we want them to keep playing on their old crappy facility that they had, you know, the old, the old uh, grass football field that had a scoreboard with half the bulbs were burned out and things like that. You know, you had to go out and pick branches up off the field and fill in the holes and, and, and things before the game and get out the old yard markers and everything. And they, and they had to set up a concession stand with a, with an eight foot folding table and, and have old, you know, set of bleachers that you're sitting on concrete instead of bleachers and no bleachers on the other side of the field, Th- that kind of experience, because they wanted their high school experience to be something to look forward to. And, mm-hmm. and if they, and, and think about that, Maybe it's not that they're burned out. Maybe they're just way too fulfilled. Maybe, maybe they're like, no, I've, I've already experienced the best of what baseball has to offer me. Wow. It's a very strong possibility. Con- very convicting, as I said <laughs> here. I was thinking as, as you were talking there about using my video. I, I'm getting real good at using video games as the, as the backbone of the argument mm-hmm. here. And, you know, everyone wants to jump on video games as the reason kids are, are leaving sports. If you if you pay attention to your kids playing video games, this this kind of coincides with what you were saying, Coach. They'll play a video game for a while, you know, the same game, and then maybe they've beat it, or maybe they've beat it on different levels, mm-hmm. or or maybe another game is out, you know, the, a mm-hmm. better game, but something they find more fun. Yeah, they'll leave that game behind after they've played it a certain number of times they leave that game behind. You know, mm-hmm. when I think about video games in my life that I've played, you know, RBI baseball for the Nintendo stands those, out. Those little fat guys. Yeah. yeah. Or we, I we liked RBI too. They yeah. were skinny. Well, no, these, the ones I played in college, they were little fat guys and, and I know what you're talking little, about. Little pudgy looking things. Yeah. And, and we had straight pitch tournaments in our dormitory. Yeah, that's it was awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'd have scores of like 47 to 36, <laughs> yeah. things like that. It was pretty cool. But you know, I, I, we love those games, Yeah. but eventually we moved away from them. We went, to a different baseball game, you know, on the Super NES or, you know, Sega CD or whatever it was. And I think we have to consider that. Yeah. Eventually, that's a great point. They, they've they had enough. You know, they've done all they've wanted to do. That's yeah. a great point. Wow. Yeah, it's something. It's definitely something to chew on for a while. Yeah. I know that. 
Uh, well, Austin, I, you know, one of the things that we really want to talk with you about, because you have been um, a college coach, and a lot of people have been asking us on the podcast to get into recruiting. And we haven't really, we got into a little bit uh, with Brock on the last episode. My son Brock was with us, and he got a chance to talk about it from the player's perspective and him being recruited. And of course, you have both perspectives as a uh, as a player who was being recruited, but also from the, the coaching perspective. Um, standpoint uh, I guess I should ask you first as an assistant coach for a college program how how much were you involved in the recruiting process uh, with prospective players to your program oh it was every day uh, that's that was one of the biggest uh, aspects of of my job as a as an assistant coach uh, the head coach kind of uh, delegates that responsibility to his assistants uh, we have a, a recruiting coordinator who then further delegates that to the rest of us. And then that's that's what we do. Uh, we do office work every single day mm -hmm. where we're finding kids or calling kids or emailing. We're, it's nonstop all year long. Mm. It's very, very tedious, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You said that, you know, you, you described that as office work. Uh, <laughs> it was one of the things that, you know, we're interested in knowing is, you know, where the the majority of the focus of your recruiting efforts were and you know maybe if you like what percentage uh you you focused on between you know say things like travel baseball tournaments and showcases um on campus camps baseball yeah. camps yeah. differentiate between those two because you've got the big box showcase where you'll have a company perhaps and i won't say any, mention any particular names but there are a lot of these out there where they invite a lot of coaches to come and then they'll send out quote unquote invitations mm. to uh, players, basically yeah. invitations to any player who will pay the $365 to come to it. And you'll end up with 200 or more kids at this thing. So that's the big box. But then you also have the, the on-campus showcase, which is more of your camp that you offer, which I know Shawnee State does, does yeah. that as well. And those are a lot more affordable. I know that. And of course, you've got other opportunities too, possibly. Yeah, American Legion games and high school games. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to break down the, the importance of, of, of those in terms of recruiting, where would you say you did most of yours? Uh, I don't think any of them stood ahead of the rest. I think it um, seems a little unfortunate for me to say this because I was an American Legion player, but it seems like that that one's getting a little pushed behind as, well, as I, it didn't used to yeah. be that way. It, that used to be one of the uh, premier recruiting spots for kids. There was a lot uh, more kids playing American Legion. Yeah, I remember to, yeah. like to go back a little bit, talking about me as 14, 15 year old, I was told about that age, like, hey, if you want to play college baseball, you have to mm -hmm. get out there. Like, this is something you should probably be doing. Um, you'll, one, become a better player. Two, you'll get more exposure. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit more challenging for people like me and uh, people from this area. Uh, sometimes people forget that Southeast Ohio exists. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, yeah. it takes a little bit more effort for people from this area uh, there's a little bit of a stigma that goes along with that too. Like, mm -hmm. uh, not many athletes have ever come out of this area, so uh, it's it's easily overlooked. But uh, as far as a recruiting uh, a recruiter in college, um, I don't think any of them stood out ahead of the other ones. Uh, we would go to all those big box showcases, and the way those things kind of worked, um, from my vantage point, um, we would show up. Um, they knew we were coming. And they would give us a big packet of information with each kid's name on it, their school, where they went to high school, what year they are, um, 
sometimes some would have their GPAs on there, mm-hmm. uh, which I'll touch on later. That's that is a very very crucial thing if mm-hmm. you want to be uh, recruited as a college athlete. Um, <clears throat> so that would, I think the big box showcase uh, kind of got your name out there a little bit. Um, and then they would do a quick run through uh, for people who have been there or might not. Uh, they do a quick run through. So there might be two, 300, 400 people there. It's impossible to see everything. Mm, uh, yeah. So uh, from my from my job, I would talk to other coaches. Hey, did mm-hmm. you see this kid do that? And we would just write down numbers. Yeah. So we would take notes, uh, meticulous notes, as much as we could uh, on those packets of paper. And then we would highlight kids' names or check mark or whatever that we need to go back and look at later. Uh, so then we would share that information with our other assistant coaches. Hey, if this kid happens to pop up somewhere, give him a look and then report back to me. Tell me what you see. And then we might call him. Hey, what what's the deal with you are you talking to anybody else are you signed somewhere mm-hmm. uh whatever the whatever the case may be um and then we would break it down to uh like actually paying very close attention to that player so high school games we would go to high school games call you, high school you're coaches. actually able to get to high school games some your yeah season? yeah okay. a lot of them um because i know you're playing at that time as well as yeah a college coach. so a lot of them are more local Right. Uh, high school games right. um, during the season we're we're going to a lot of junior college games so I would miss mm-hmm. weekend college baseball games which were com- big conference games I would have to miss because I would have to go on the road right. and recruit recruit yeah. college Juco, junior yeah. college players yeah. that that happens all the time so uh, a lot of people and you're saying that as at that time as a volunteer assistant right yeah yeah I would drive That's... so for instance we had a conference game in Georgetown Kentucky uh, we play Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. I went for the Friday night game and then got up early in the morning and drove to Western Illinois to yeah. go recruit four junior college games yeah. and then North Carolina the next day. It's that's junior college. When you're looking at high school kids, what age group are you normally looking at? When you like, if you go to a showcase, so is it? It's different for every level. So me being an NAIA guy, I gotta recruit seniors. I'm not going to get a junior to sign with with right. me. Oh, okay. uh, so the bigger schools, the earlier they're going to recruit. Sure. So I just read a tweet from someone now who's a recruiting coordinator for, I can't remember what school, Vanderbilt or mm-hmm. somebody like that. He's like, man, it's getting almost impossible for us. We're going watching 15 U games and trying to sign kids. Yeah. Wow. I, I was okay. actually surprised last night. I was looking on Twitter and I saw a kid that committed to AB where, where Brock's at. And, and I, and I said, Hey, you got, it looks like a new pitcher committed committed pretty late you know in the summer well it wasn't for this year it was for it was for the following year so that's a division two school who normally is the same way gets you know get you know gets later commitments uh, and uh they this kid decided to go there as a junior as a, he's okay. going to be a senior this year so right. he's does another year of high school yeah gotcha and so so yeah it's interesting that you the way you know to, I want to go back to that that point about the the running them through in the in the big box showcase because one of the things that I noticed and I've attended a handful of these myself not as a player but as a dad and watching what just watching how it how it goes and I sit back you know in in whatever stadium it's it's in with Bill Davis Stadium up at Ohio State or we went to one at Wright State I remember in a couple of different locations. It's almost, I would almost describe it as a cattle herd. <laughs> oh, you bring absolutely. These, you bring these kids in, they all got their number, you know, their number pasted on them and, and, uh, and they'll line them up 
and they'll 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 run them. You know, they'll run the either they run the sixty yard dash. Or they'll have them just just uh, run from home to first or whatever. Usually it's a sixty yard dash, I'm sure. And then they'll have they'll just run through some BP throwing from the outfield, throwing from shortstop. They'll have and they'll have pitchers throw. And then they'll I know the way a lot of the ones I went to did they they would play um, sort of simulated games where pitchers would throw to five hitters and then they'd swap out and yeah. just rotate them through, rotate them through. I can imagine it'd be really really easy. I mean there are several times I looked down there watching the the row the coaches you know row of coaches behind the the net there you know chatting with each other and you know talking chatting with each other the entire time while two other kids had already completed their their entire you know their entire turn you know and they didn't even see him at all mm. and and one of the thoughts that i had about that and this is my theory and you can tell me if you think if this is accurate or not is that those big box showcases i think it's a good experience for every kid to go to just to, it helps with the understanding of what what happens you know but i i would think that for the majority of the kid who wants to be recruited to play in college they're going to fall into this range of being pretty good. Like, you know, a lot of kids, if they want to play, they can find a place to play. But then you have some kids that are, well, you, you have a, a small percentage of kids that, that just aren't good enough to play in college. They've got to reface that fact. Right. But you also have a small percentage of kids who are awesome and they're going to, they, they can write their ticket. You know, there are a lot of colleges that are wanting them. And then the majority, so I would say 10% at the bottom, 10% at the top, and you've got 80% of, where the majority of American, you know, youth baseball players are, are, which is they're decent. And it seems like a lot of those kids at the big box showcase look a, a lot the same. Oh, absolutely. You know, got the same exit velos, you know, similar running speed, balls coming off the bat similar. If they're thrown from the mound, they're in that, you know, upper 70s, mid 80s range or whatever. But then every now and then you have a kid step up and throw 94 and everybody perks up. Mm -hmm. You know, or you hear about this kid. And so everyone's there to look at this kid to see who they can get. But it almost seems like if you're in that middle 80%, the big box showcase, it's possible that a coach might remember you, but I, I'm thinking probably not. Mm. Not typically. We'll remember the name more than anything. Yeah. Something well, has to stick out <laughs> with them though, don't you think? Sometimes, yeah. Like what sticks out to you? Uh, so for me, I don't even look at those guys throwing 94 because you know, yeah, I'm you, not going to uh, get that guy. Or a lefty throwing mid 80s, right? <laughs> yeah, so we got like UC sitting behind me right, and right. Ohio State and this 94 mile an hour kids pitching. That's that's when I take my lunch break. I'm I'm not getting yeah. him. So yeah, uh, and I, it's a little bit backwards for when I'm paying attention. Those guys are, like you said, talking with each other because they don't. Right. They're. Now think about that, guys. <clears throat> All right, if, kids that are listening right now. You're talking about a kid probably throwing 85, 84, yeah, right? Eight, yeah. Yeah, the D1 coaches aren't even paying attention to you. Yeah. Right-handed. They, they won't. Right-handed, 5'10", 84, 85. You, you might be throwing smoke in high school. Yeah. But if you really want to play in college, the, the guys that are paying attention to you at those showcases are in AIA, D2, D3, JUCO, right? Yeah, which is not a terrible thing. It's great thing. baseball. Yeah. Better baseball, I would say, in I've a lot of cases. I've played a lot of kids in the NAIA that are oh, – heck yeah have been drafted and are still playing. We just like, talked about a kid last podcast episode who is now pitching for the twins. Yeah. Who played D2. One of the best teams in the major leagues right now. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. They're not quite as good as the Indians, but they're pretty good. <laughs> they're on your teal. Like they're, yeah. they're tied, aren't they? Same record, that right? As of, game as of last night. Yeah. Last night. <laughs> yeah, so when I was recruiting, uh, I would focus on those guys throwing low 80s and try and steal a guy throwing upper 80s but if a guy's in the 90 mile mile an hour range i'm not getting them so yeah. 
Unless he just really has a desire to go to a smaller school, then you might have a shot. But yeah, you, or for the most part, you know. Like yeah. back to the GPA thing. If his mm-hmm. GPA right. is bad, he's not going to get into Ohio State. So that's where we get those guys from who mm-hmm. we call them D1 kickbacks. Yep. Called yep. kickbacks for a reason because they can't get right. into those schools or they're not going to make it. But gotcha. Um, one of the things kids overlook are junior colleges, especially in this this type of area. Uh, the state, there's not a ton of really good junior colleges in the immediate vicinity. Uh, Sinclair is probably one of the best, one of the best. Yeah, in our state, we have some good ones. We have some good yeah. ones, but close to here, not many that kids mm-hmm. might know about. But I think I, I didn't know about them when I was coming up. I just learned from going through the college playing process and recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are a great avenue for kids to be seen. Uh, you go... Like, if you think about a high school kid, me in particular, I was 150 pounds when I left Meg's High School, and I, w- I wasn't going to throw for Ohio State or anybody at 150 pounds. Are you kidding yeah. me? So yeah, kids just develop late sometimes, so right. go play junior college. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had a kid uh, on my team for the Copperheads this summer, uh, Ty Crittenberger, played down at uh, UCF. Uh, he's a Southern Florida kid, phenomenal a- athlete, just raw ability built like a greek god just looks amazing in a baseball uniform and he's fast as lightning just didn't play last year at ucf so he's going to one of the best junior colleges in the country down in florida and that's Mm. there's nothing wrong with that he's going to go there and he's going to play and he'll play there for two years and then probably sign with Mm -hmm. a different division one team and play two years after that so that's something people overlook sometimes that is huge for developing kids who might just sit on the bench for a year or yeah. two in college and oh, it's a great route for a up. lot of for a lot of kids that really want to play. It's a yeah. great, it's a, it's a good route. It sounds like what we're what we're saying here is there's a there's going to be a bunch of kids, you know, for for athletes out there that that want to be recruited to play college ball. What they can expect is to it, unless they have an elite skill, you know, unless they're thrown in the, in the mid nineties or unless they're able to just pound the baseball or, or the, you know, maybe it's speed that, you know, mm-hmm. makes them stand out from other people. They're going to be grouped in with a lot of other athletes. Oh, yeah. What is the most important thing that an athlete like that can do to get seen or to get recruited? Mm-hmm. Good question. The, the, that is a good question. The biggest thing that any kid can do is do well in the classroom. It is absolutely crucial. Uh, so uh, if you look at baseball as a sport in college the scholarship money is very very limited compared to other sports we're not a Ohio State football where we get 80 scholarships Uh, for Shawnee State uh, we had two and three quarter scholarships think about that we're one of the cheapest state schools in Ohio uh, roughly ten thousand dollars a year after everything's said and done with housing food Mm. classes all that stuff ten thousand dollars which is cheap Mm-hmm. compared to everything else and it's still a lot of money so if you want to get recruited to these places i got two and three quarter scholarships that i have to divvy up between 50 guys we that's, bring 50 guys in every fall that's a great point because if you're a lot of people say you know they, they look at these at, at the the charts that show you hey naia schools have 12 d2 schools have 10 d1 schools have 11 and a, you know 11.7 that's naia schools have 12 if they're fully funded, if they have it, we yeah. don't have it. And you're, yeah, <laughs> see, they're, they're not all fully funded. Very right. few are fully funded uh-huh. in the NAI. They right. 
are allowed that many, but which means we can't afford it. the majority of kids, even in Division One programs, the majority of kids are not playing on scholarship Absolutely. in college. Absolutely. So, if you want to make a team like that, and you're not throwing 95 miles an hour, and you can get maybe a partial ride to a big mm-hmm. school somewhere, you have to have good grades. So, like for us, we had tiers for kids we were recruiting. So if you had a 3.0, we could knock off $1,500 of your tuition Mm -hmm. from the university. It had nothing to do with our baseball program. That the university offers that to every student that walks through the door. That's just something that we have to utilize. And 3.5, it's even more. 3.75, it's even 4.0. You get a Mm -hmm. bunch of money taken off. So if you're good enough to get a little bit of money and you have a 4.0, I'm getting that guy because I don't have to spend as much on him. Right. Interesting. So that's two episodes in a row. A player and a coach. Right. That both. The most important thing, you know, to get recruited, if everyone's listening, Mm -hmm. is grades. Is GPA. 100% the most important thing. One of the things we talked with Brock about is it seemed like, I mean, in the last episode is it seemed like every time he took the ACT, and and, and trust me, he took it plenty of times, so did my daughter, (laughs) And, and it, it, you know, every time he increased the, the, the point on the ACT, we'd get a new financial aid letter. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and here's, here's how your financial aid has been adjusted because you've just, uh, you know, you find, they find more money. For yeah, you. there's all sorts of categories yeah. like that. Yeah. Can I ask another question? Can I j- jump to another question that I want yeah, to ask? Yeah, go for it. It, it kind of, it's a good We've got all day it. here with Austin. <laughs> so we just said grades are important, you know, when we talk about elite skill and, and, and so forth. Could you could you tell me how much emphasis is placed on season statistics in the recruiting process? High school, not not, not much. I'll be honest with you. Um, we go based on ability, especially at my level. Maybe it's different uh, when you get to big Power Five D ones, um, but it's it's generally ability. Uh, what type of tools do you have? Um, is there room for you to grow? Right. Uh, so that is one of the biggest things we looked at. Look at is projectability. Uh, you're throwing 83 miles an hour now. Uh, what might you get up to throughout your career with us? Um, so this this kid is is still growing. He's still maturing. Uh, there's a chance he's going to get bigger, add some power, uh, get in the weight room. He may not have been uh, been shown a baseball workout program before because it's it's a very different thing than if you play football or whatever the case may be um so we look more at projectability than actual stats i i to be honest with you i can't remember the last time i looked at a kid's high school stats like yeah maybe a coach will tell me hey this kid threw seven complete games this year okay he's he's durable he's guy who's going to be able to throw a lot but i would almost say who do you throw him against Right. Yeah, that's why it's so hard yeah. to look at stats. I mean, my goodness, everybody plays a different schedule, different competition. Absolutely, who's keeping the book? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's subjective. Yeah, I I wanted to ask that question because I just a few days ago I got in this this Twitter thread where uh, you know a, a coach uh, Coach Mongero I think Mongero yeah Mongero yeah he said uh, you know he's been coaching for twenty eight years and and of all the college coaches that he's talked to, not one of them has asked yeah. him about a stat. No, a we won't. No, nope. yeah. won't. And, uh, you know, someone responded to that with, well, you know, stats are important. You know, they tell you where you are, they tell you where you're at. And I had a, I had a thought, and I, I shared it with Coach Stewart uh, 
I think yesterday. And you know, the thought was, you know, I don't, I, I'm a, I'm an analytical guy. So I like, I like numbers and I think you can, oh, put, yeah. I think you can put a value Absolutely. on anything. You can put a value on, you know, what kind of teammate you are. Mm-hmm. You can do that. You, you, know, you can put that in, in, an, in an analysis. But what I would say is don't, you know, you don't want to obsess over stats during a game. You don't want to obsess over stats during a season. If anything, you obsess over stats after the season. Absolutely. When you're, yeah. To give you, oh, yeah. you know, where you want to be, you use it as a measuring personally. Yeah. For you. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah, don't 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 compare them to somebody else's because every time you compare a stat to someone else, it's always going to be subjective. It's always exactly. I mean, who, you, you know, nobody's playing the same schedule. You, you know, in especially when you look at high schools. My goodness, the the teams that you're playing against, some leagues are strong one year, but they're really weak the next. And so oh, a kid may hit 600 one year, and that, well, that stands out to anybody. But then you look and see that you know some of the scores of the games that they played. And it's like, man, we, they mercyed half the teams they played this year. They must right. have been a bad league this year, or whatever. And that's one area of subjectivity. There's a lot of subjectivity in, it, when it comes too, to numbers, and and the yeah. variables are just too too wide. I know, you know, my son over the last two tournaments that he's played, the you know the the tournament before this last one that he played, statistically, he had a horrible weekend. Mm. But he hit he hit the ball hard almost every time he was up. That's exactly what Austin's saying. This yeah. this past weekend, he had a great weekend statistically, with some subjectivity, <laughs> and <laughs> so you know there were some duck farts, <laughs> right? You know and things like that Oof. in there. He he dying he, quails. He did not hit the ball yeah. this weekend as well as what he did the last tournament. Right. But statistically, he had mm-hmm. the better weekend. Right. So I think that's where you can get in trouble. Yeah, and Pat, I somewhat agree with you. Statistics can be important. Uh, I just don't think so at the high school level. Uh, uh, once they make it to college, say when I'm recruiting a junior college kid, yeah, I'll look at look at the stats then as uh, kind of a, a direction of where I want to go with my recruiting process. Hey, there's a because I have a better understanding. Um, I know level the teams, they're play, competition I know the, yeah, they're playing. Yeah. I know the teams they're playing. I know about the other players that are throwing against Good them or, yeah. or whatever the case may be. So it's, um, it's a little bit more easy for me to understand uh, what those statistics actually mean. Exactly. Um, well, the subjectivity is taken out of it. Yeah. It's, it, you know, at that point, it's more on you. So then mm-hmm. I'd, I'll call the coaches after I find the stats. Hey, tell me about this guy. Is he a good teammate? Um, does he work hard? What's what's the story with him? And I'll get as much information as I can before I ever mm-hmm. talk to the kid myself. Because if the coach has a bad um, opinion about him, uh, he's a bad teammate, doesn't work hard, he's lazy, yeah. I'm not even going to bother. Man, so, that's a great <clears> – that's gold right there. How, and, and, and I would ask the people out there listening, how much time do we spend in practice on those things? Yes. You know, I, I can tell you I don't. I don't spend enough time. Well, on that's a culture issue, you yeah. know, that, that needs to become part of the overall culture that you are establishing as a coach and but as you, a coaching staff with your team. Yeah. And, and but you plan that. Oh, right? you have to plan that. Yeah, exactly. That's absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. Yep. Yeah. I, I've got another a recruiting question for you. And this is actually something that's, that's, that's always been a little bit annoying to me to hear people say, but you hear people say things like, Hey, if you're good enough, college coaches will find you. And I think you've already sort of answered, you know, this and the way you've explained some of the other answers. But what that sounds to me like is that, Hey, if, if you're not getting recruited, uh, then that means you must not be good enough. And it, you know, basically it means what it, what it sort of sounds like to me is it doesn't matter what you do as a player, 
you know, or where you play, if you're good enough, those college coaches will find you. And again, I think for personally, I think that's maybe true for the top 10%. So there's somebody down here in Southeastern Ohio throwing 96 and you're probably going to get found, mm-hmm. you know, but like you said earlier, Austin, this is an area where not many players come out of. And I have to wonder, is that because there are no good players in this area or because they just don't know what to do to get found? I mean, how would you, would you agree with that statement that if you're good enough, you'll be found? Uh, I think there's a kernel of truth to that. Um, but not entirely. I think Mm -hmm. that's more based on the professional level. The major league scouts aren't going to miss on a guy. Like, yeah, those guys just don't fall through the cracks. It doesn't happen. doesn't matter where you're at in the world. If you throw 95, 96, 98, you're going to be found. So that Um, means the the kids that are going to, to to the professional level are going to be your top three and four at at the college level. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it transitions from those kids up, I think. So I think you're right about, uh, that level of player, but, um, to revert back to kids from say areas like this, uh, they just have to put themselves out there a little bit more than everybody else. It's going to be harder for these kids to, uh, get their name out there, be seen, but it's not impossible. Mm. Um, sometimes you might just not be, uh, to that level of maturity or, or whatever the case may be, but it is possible. Uh, and it's okay to, to send an email to a college coach. Uh, I was just getting ready to ask you how, how can they do that? And that's one answer, right? So the, the way, uh, it's going to sound funny, but, uh, Vince Ryber was one of my assistant coaches in Meg's high school. And one of the things he did for me was send out emails to all of the coaches in the area. And then he would ask me, Hey, where would you like to go? And he would send an email there and uh, try not to go too far down that road. But he sent one to Shawnee State University when Ted Tom and Chris Moore took over the program. It was their first <laughs> – they came to the office to a letter that he had sent the old head coach that the guy left on the desk for them. And that's how I got found to hmm. Shawnee State was because Vince Ryber sent an wow. email to Shawnee State and they just happened to call me out of the blue. That's great that you had a coach that did that. Yeah, I know yeah. Vince, and I, I, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Yep. Do you think that it's the coach's responsibility to do that for the kid? A little bit, I, I think so. Um, but to go back to what I said about being a good teammate and a, teammate and a good player, that coach is putting his reputation on the line, yes. vouching for you. So if you're not going to hold up your end of the bargain, why should he put – you're ruining mm-hmm. any other guy after you's chance if you go there and make him look like right. an idiot. So right. uh, if you don't do the things you're supposed to do, he's not going to help you out, and nor mm-hmm. should he. It's like writing a recommendation letter. I'll write a recommendation letter to anybody that asks mm-hmm. me, but what I put in that letter is up to you. That's exactly right. That's As a high school coach and as a summer ball coach, that's one of the things that I always said to kids is that I am more than happy to talk, to reach out to college coaches on your behalf and to speak to them for you. But you got to understand that I'm going to be really honest with them Mm -hmm. because I want to be able, because the guy that's coming up after you three or four years from now uh, is going to be relying on me as well. And if I lose the trust of these college recruiters because of saying something about you that isn't true, then, then that's, that's going to, that's going to basically ruin it for a lot of other kids. And so you get, you know, and it's really, it really helps in the present day as well as you, as you are coaching these, these kids, because if you say, I'm going to be honest, 
well, what am I going to be honest about? I'm going to be honest about how you are as a teammate right now, today, about how you're playing right now. Are, you know, does he run out hard 90s? Well, it's up to you. Are you, are you running those out right now? Because if you are, I'll tell that coach. If you're not, I'll answer honestly. I'll say, no, he doesn't. He, he packs yeah. it in when he pops up, you yeah. know, things like that. So, so yeah. That's, there's a lot of truth to that that I found out uh, when I became a college coach. I got recommendations from, I'm not going to name anybody, but I got sent recommendations from uh, what seemed like trustworthy mm-hmm. coaches. Tra- one was a travel ball coach. Hey, this guy's going to be great for you. So I recruited him turned out to be an awful teammate didn't want to do anything lazy never went to class showed up late for everything yeah. i can't i'm not going to take another guy from there ever again not just go back right? i can't do it yeah because it's a waste my, of your time my reputation's on the line also yeah. Sure. Yeah. my head coach is hey what did you see in this kid i don't know i took somebody's yeah. word for it so, yeah i actually want to ask go back to the uh the showcases for a minute and it's, and it's not a question about the big box showcase. This is a question about your own camp, your on-campus camp. How important is it for a young man, young woman who's wanting to play softball, how important is it for them to go to your own school's camp, the camp that Shawnee State is putting on or the camp that Ohio University is putting on by themselves? Maybe they're inviting some other schools around the area, wherever they might be, wherever they might live out in the podcast land where people are listening from. How important is it for students to identify, high school students to identify, here are some schools that I would like to go to or I would like to pursue because they have my major that I'm interested in and therefore because I wanna play baseball, I would love to go to that school and I just happen to see that that school has their own camp, their own showcase in October. How versus the big box showcase, how important is it for them to attend those? I think it's important. Um, it's like an interview. Uh, if you're not being recruited by this school, uh, yeah, show up, show your face, introduce yourself, make as much of an impact as you possibly can in that short amount of time. Um, because looking back on, if you think about what I do as a recruiter, I have a million names coming across my desk day after day after day, watching video after video, talking to this coach, that coach, calling all these players on the phone. Sometimes you get things confused. So if you can find a way to separate yourself, shake coach's hand when you first get there, make sure you thank them when you leave, mm. um, whatever it is, outside of how you, how well you perform in the camp, just do something to, to separate yourself, stand out a little bit so they recognize your face and your name. And then if there's ever a question, like, hey, uh, Caleb was here at that camp. You guys remember him? Like, uh, mm. Maybe. And then one guy, yeah, I remember him. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not give him a chance? Yeah. So sometimes that works out that way. But um, <clears throat> something a lot of guys don't talk about is you have to be careful with those things also. Um, so from my standpoint, and I hate to feel like a whistleblower almost. Uh, Please we, do. <laughs> we, uh, That's what we're doing. I apologize to <laughs> This any, whole podcast was built on being a whistleblower. Any college coach that's currently listening that uh, – does this but they all do so um i go to a showcase somewhere that a college runs all these kids register for this camp we get our packet of information has their phone numbers emails all their information in it one of the jobs i have as a college coach is i take that packet back to my school with me enter all of 
that information, all of those kids' names and emails into a spreadsheet. So now we have a mass spreadsheet saved on our server mm -hmm. in our office, and then we send out a mass email about our camp. Inviting them to uh, your camp. So, And why is that important for your school to have all those kids that come to the camp? Because that's how I got paid. <laughs> there you go. I made zero money <laughs> as a coach at Shawnee State University, but uh, we put on winter camps or whatever. Kids will come paid 50 bucks yeah. to be seen, which is can be good for them. We don't charge a whole lot of money because we're an mm -hmm. NAI school in a small town. Yeah. Uh, but that money goes to our assistant coaches. And I would say it's a, du it's a dual purpose, obviously. I mean, Absolutely. it's not like you're not looking at kids. Yeah. I mean, yep. it's a good opportunity for you to get kids, but it's also a good opportunity to pay your volunteer coaches Absolutely. as well. Because I'm guessing that, that you probably end up signing more kids that you see at your own camp than you do at, say, the Big Box Showcase. Oh, I'm just guessing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, we signed a kid four years ago. Um, his name was Nick Kaiser. Uh, he played for a team up in Canton somewhere. Uh, he came down to our camp, didn't know anything about him. He found us, um, I think. We may have had him on our, our database, sent him an email. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was there. Uh, we saw him throw a little bit. Seemed okay. It was 81, 82. Had a pretty good breaking ball. Like, hey, that breaking ball can work. We can mm -hmm. we can work with this kid, and we signed him. Uh, he was a pitcher for me this summer for the Copperheads. Oh, great. So came full circle where yeah. we just signed this kid out of a camp, and he took it upon himself to become a better player. He wasn't great when we got him. Like, it was almost a question whether we He was projectable. Yeah. yeah. But that curveball looked good enough that, hey, I'm a pitching guy. I can work with this. Yeah. And the maturity and the velocity and all those other things will come. Yeah, mm. and and they did. I'll tell you, that's how Brock. That's how Brock got uh, <clears throat> recruited to AB. Is is uh, he? You know, he'd gone to some of the big box showcases. He played travel ball. He he talked with coaches during the summer and things like that. And and I don't I don't even know if they saw him play any travel games before they saw him at the camp. I think the first time they really got a look at him was at the camp. And he did, did a nice job. Receives the ball well. They were looking. They were looking for catchers in his class and talked with him. Invited him to come back for a um, a visit. He did that. Then they actually wanted to see him play a little bit. We, they sent him. He sent his videos. He'd created some video, you know, live game video as well as just showcase style video. And uh, they got a chance to see. So they got a chance to see him in person at their camp. They got a chance to see video of him video of him playing in live games. And they actually did get to see him play the following summer as well. But by then, by then they had already committed to him, and mm. and and he he likewise. But, um, yeah, I I think it's I would encourage kids to go to these camps. I, that was also a good point. Helps get um, you paid too. <laughs> the fact that Brock had his his videos that's yeah. that's huge for us, um, and a lot of other schools. Mm. So like I said, I do a lot of office work where we have so we'll have practice at two o'clock in the afternoon. We have morning wakes waits from six to eight. So I have from eight o'clock in the morning to one, one thirty before I have to get over to the field where I'm sitting in the office recruiting. So I get email after email of kids sending me a video, uh, looking up videos online, guys mm -hmm. that I know that are coaches somewhere else. Hey, this guy isn't going to work for us, but he may work for you. And they'll send me a video. Videos are huge. So if you're in an area like this where you're not getting much exposure, Get, a, get somebody to film you. Make sure it's close where I can see your mechanics, see the ball mm -hmm. move out of your hand, see your swing. A uh, thousand feet away is going to do me no good. I'm just going to turn it off. But uh, if I can see you, the way your hands move, the way your body works, the way you receive the ball, the way you field it, I'll watch it. 
and then yeah. I'll pass it along to our head coach. Be like, hey, this guy looks pretty good. What do you think? That's such and good stuff. I love that. I, I, <laughs> man, YouTube has completely transformed recruiting. Oh yeah, it's it's leveled the playing field in a lot of ways. I mean, Absolutely. you know, that, you talk about areas, rural areas of a, of America where kids aren't typically being seen or being found. Man, if they know how to they know how to create a YouTube channel, they know how to put a put some film together. They can they can be seen just as much as somebody else. Yep. That's great stuff. Make sure you put your contact information in those yeah. also, because I've had a handful of videos. Who is this kid? I have no yeah. idea. There's no name, no phone number, nothing. I just yeah, just random video. And yeah. I'll say this right now. I think I don't know if it'd be inappropriate to say, but I, I'm I am always willing to help any kid with this kind of thing. I, I've done several videos for for kids in our area and. If you're interested in that, if that's something that you'd like to look into for your own kids, just just reach out to me. Um, you know, I've, I'll give you my email here in a little bit. But uh, but that's that's something that I, I I want to help kids in the area, the local area where we live here. As everyone who wants to play ball in college, I want to help them do the best they can to try to get there. So I know, you know, that's what we're all here yeah, for. So. Sure. Yeah, Coach, you uh, you you mentioned a couple times now scenarios or, or instances in which players didn't make it to college as the best form of themselves mm. and they, and they got better in college, you know, and, and one of the topics that, that, that we're really focused on is player development and, you know, what changes and how to, you know, how to become a better person or a, a better version of the athlete that you are or coach that you are. When you, when you transitioned from high school into college <laughs> and, and became a really good college pitcher, was there something that changed with you from a development perspective? Did you do something different? focus on something different if, if there was what was that oh absolutely uh so start with my high school career my goal as a high school player was to make it to college and become a college baseball player and the second I stepped foot on campus it suddenly became not good enough mm. um, that may sound worse than what I intended to sound um, once I got there and it's something that I preached to my players when I became a coach um, what is your goal like, what, what do you want to accomplish while you're here? And I, I would ask my players, uh, whose goal was it to become a college baseball player? And all of them would raise their hands. How many of you made any goals after that? About half of them would go down. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. okay, so what is your goal for being here? Mm. So you're here now, now what? So when I stepped foot on campus, I wanted to become the best player in the country. I, my team was, like, I set my goals as high as I possibly could. Um, my abilities were limited. I think I threw 85 to 86 miles an hour coming out of high school, and that's if I'm really chucking it. Uh, so what I did was, hey, I want to be the best player in the country. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make that happen. I want zero excuses. I only have four years to do this. I don't want to have a single regret when this is over. So every single day, and I can say this honestly, I'm not blowing smoke. I worked my tail off every single day. I, I had to be first in everything. Sprints, if I lost, I took it personally. Every long distance run, everything. Weight room, I was trying to lift as much weight as I possibly could, being smart about it, of course. You can lift too much weight. There we hear possible. it again. <clears throat> weight room, just common everyday occurrence it's for huge. college athletes. Yeah. Uh, and I've had that conversation with people before. But, uh, you shouldn't be lifting during during the season. You most definitely Have should to. be. That is <laughs> crucial. Yeah. Uh, the Michigan baseball team uh, tweeted a photo 
of them lifting at Omaha during the yeah, World Series. We talked Series. about that yeah, on we a previous about episode. That a couple episodes. They yes. were getting after it, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, it was huge. it was it was yeah, it was in the middle of that series. Yeah. So uh, that's that's Game another day. point, but uh, I made sure that I could look myself in the mirror and say that I did absolutely everything that I could possibly do today to make myself better and then tomorrow the same thing and then after four years it ended up paying off so if you're not working as hard as you possibly can you're doing yourself a disservice yeah I think that goes back to what Brock was describing as the college baseball life too you know it's not yeah you know to a 10 year old it doesn't sound all that fun but we you know you, you said working a couple times in that in that response there and that's, I think that's what it is. It's work. But it's work. If, it's you know, hard. It, yeah. It's yeah, very it's hard. hard. And you better have a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're not going to make it. Yeah. There are too many times I've seen personally my friends that I played with would show up to practice and, man, I don't want to be here today. It's hot. It's cold. Whatever. Hey, I know it's hot. You don't have to tell me it's hot. It's cold. I know. We all Usually know Usually it's, it's cold. cold in our yeah. area. <laughs> yeah. In we college all, season. We all know, yeah. but what a lot of people don't understand is when you get to college it's all day mm-hmm. every day all year long you're yeah. going to class you're going to practice you're in the weight room it's it is a commitment and too many of my friends that were better than me when i got there would show up and just have this poor attitude about being yeah. practice like hey man this is what it's about if you're stepping on the game mound and you haven't done everything you possibly could to prepare yourself that's when guys become nervous and unsure about their capabilities. I was never nervous when I was ever on a game mound because I knew that I did everything I possibly mm-hmm. could to prepare myself. Yeah. And knowing that I did that, I could relax. And then if the results didn't happen, then I just got beat that day. Yeah. That's just Tip the way hat. baseball goes. Yeah. Absolutely. Some, some days they're better than you. But you don't right. want to walk away from the field and be like, man, I wish I would have done yeah. that before. Yeah today's game before and i think that's the key word you hear a lot of you know throughout the years coaches will say leave it all in the field leave it all in the practice field yeah yeah you know oh absolutely be prepared right i think that's great stuff right there no doubt well austin we've spent a lot of time with you we need to let you go but i i we have one more question that i think is is uh, hits the heart of this podcast that uh, pat and i are very, very passionate about, and that is that is youth baseball. We really want to help uh, make the landscape of youth baseball be better. And when I say better, I mean better every day. I don't mean I don't mean that the way things are are horrible. I'm just saying that I want to see. We both want to see things improve on a, on a consistent level because everything everything else in this world's evolving. Everything else is 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 getting you know either better or worse, sure. one or the other. You're not you're not staying stagnant, and so. We, we talk a lot about youth baseball and the experiences that people have um, as youth players. As you look back, what's a, what's a, what is maybe a favorite memory? And if you have more than one, that's fine too. What, are, what, is, what is a favorite memory from your days of growing up and playing youth baseball? Uh, it's a compilation of things. Um, playing in my hometown in front of people that I knew, uh, playing with my friends. Uh, it was... It was an enjoyable experience. We didn't take it too seriously. Uh, we played to have fun. Uh, that's what summer is about in my mind and my heart. Um, uh, summers are meant for being on a baseball yeah. field. 
for me anyway, I know a lot of people are different, but uh, when I look back, every summer that I can remember, I was on the baseball field with my friends, having a good time. Uh, the stats and all that stuff seem to get a little faded the older we get, but you can remember big I mean, if balls. I were to ask you what, what, you, uh, what your ERA was as a 12-year-old, Not you a can't clue. remember. Probably terrible, but... Um, as you're envisioning this right now and, and answering this question, how old are you in your mind? Nine, 10, 12, yeah, somewhere go. in there. I remember all the different fields that I've ever played on and uh, seeing my parents sitting in the stands, bringing me lunch between double headers and, and all those, those things that uh, seemed to be meaningless at the time. Um, those are what, what really take you back to uh, to what it's what it's meant to be it's it's a kid's game uh, you'll hear major league players say that uh, they have a saying nowadays let the kids play mm -hmm. that's exactly what it is and we all have those memories of us playing on all dirt fields uh, <laughs> uh, playing behind chain link fence all the the people you know rusty chain link yep fence. <laughs> probably got tetanus a couple <laughs> different times but man it was it was a blast just playing with all the people from our town playing against the town next door, uh, playing against kids that we go to school with. So, uh, it was fun just being out there under the sun. Yeah. And that wasn't that long ago for you. You're, you're a young guy. Fairly. So it wasn't like we're talking about the good old days here. Like Pat and I talk about the good old no, days. It, it feels <laughs> like it. Things are, <laughs> things are different now almost. Yeah. Awesome. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was a great, great oh yeah had a great time with you yep so, no doubt. thank you guys for having me you i bet. appreciate it a lot is there anything else you'd like to say i mean give one last shot at, at uh at, at the people that are listening uh man this is make sure you keep tuning in i've listened to a, a few of them uh, i've had conversations with myself as i'm listening to the podcast but oh that's a good point and start to add things like hell i'm talking to myself <laughs> uh but uh these guys are awesome i got the pleasure of playing for the both of you uh, played for Pat in Middleport. He was mm -hmm. as a Legion coach, so a lot of great memories uh, doing both of those things. But um, man, this is this is a good thing that I hope people continue to listen into. Thanks. We appreciate that. How can people get in touch with you if you don't mind? Uh, Anyone wants to ask you a question Twitter, directly? Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, Dunfee15. Um, D U N F E E correct. 15. Uh, Facebook, just Austin Dunfee. You'll you'll find yeah. it. Uh, I think I, I think those are the two things I'm on. I'm not even on Twitter that much. I'll scroll through there some, but something pops up, it it gets to me. So yeah. uh, feel free to shoot me questions. Um, man, this is this is what it's about. I'm I'm a hometown kid, uh, so anybody that's listening or from the area, I'm more than well more than willing to help you out any way that I possibly can. I was I was one of you all, and it was hard for me to get to where I am now. I'm and I wouldn't have been able to do it without the help of you two and many, many other people who, who have coached me and taught me different things. So, um, yeah, reach out and I'll, I'll be more than, more than willing to, to spread the love. Awesome. Thanks brother. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank y'all.